0: You swap sharks for crocodiles. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way there's sharks as well up there, right? (laughs) You just add crocodiles into the mix. (laughs) Uh I'm Gerardo Poli. I'm Hubert Hemstra, and this is the Vet Vault. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Vet Vault. We've got a slightly different one for you today. Instead of us interviewing someone, I am being interviewed by my friend and podcast slash business coach, James Whitaker. James is an author and entrepreneur, and as you'll hear, a master interviewer and all round legend. He has a fantastic podcast called Win the Day that you should definitely check out if you're looking for some inspiration from world class performers from outside of the veterinary space. We did this interview as a Facebook live event for his audience and while I much prefer being on the other side of the microphone, I do feel that we covered some important topics and maybe it's time you got to know me a bit better. So here you go, let us know if you like this and if you do, we'll do a part 2 of Get to Know Your Hosts where I can grill Gerardo with all of the questions I never get to ask him. Now, please enjoy Dr. Hubert Hemstra.
1: Well, for those who are joining us, welcome to the second installment of We Are Live. So in this series, we help podcasters find their voice, monetize their passion and make an impact. My name is James Whitaker, the co founder of We Are Podcast and co founder of We Are Members. So what we do with We Are Podcast and We Are Members is help podcasters monetize their show because most people love the idea of starting a podcast but they're not so savvy on the business side so we help people really activate the monetization side so they can sustain their passion and have the impact that they want to have on the world So before we introduce our special guest for today, just a reminder that we've got We Are Podcast coming up on the 18th and 19th of February. It's a two-day event. We'll be covering topics like how you can get your first 10,000 followers on Clubhouse, how you can monetize your podcast now, how you can establish relationships with the people that you want to. So we've got a whole bunch of awesome topics that I know you're going to love, but the real value of attending events like this, apart from actioning things in real time, is the people that you meet. We Are Podcast just seems to attract the best people in the whole world. So for that reason alone, that is why you should go to wearepodcast.com and join us on the 18th and 19th of February. Well, today we're sitting down with my good friend, Dr. Hubert Hiemstra, a man I have an enormous amount of respect for. Hugh is the host of the Vet Vault podcast and has had an amazing 20 plus year career as a v- veterinarian, I always struggle with that word, on three And concerts. try and spell
0: it, you should, you should try and spell it.
1: <laughs> spelling is the one thing I'm probably okay at. So uh, I, would, I would take spelling any day over, over saying it. So we're gonna get into Hugh's quest to build a balanced and, and fulfilled life and we'll reveal what you can do to find, build and add value to your niche. So Hugh, great to see you, my friend. Thanks for being here.
0: Thank you so much for having me, James. And I'll just reiterate what James said about We Are Podcast. Uh, do it if you have any interest in anything like this. Uh, so much fun hanging out with James and the, and the group we're with, it's really spectacular. And it's done a lot for how I think about this as a business rather than just as a, as a hobby. So thanks James for, for all of that.
1: I love it, my pleasure. Well, give us a bit of a background into, into your life growing up and how you ended up in, a, in Perth, Australia of all places. Well, not even Perth anymore, mate. We Remember, we've, we've moved beyond Perth. I, I, I know. I thought, I thought we'd start at Perth and then get into your amazing outback adventure okay. after that. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. I'll give a brief summary. So I grew up in a smallish town in South Africa called Bloemfontein in the middle of kind of nowhere. Uh, studied veterinary science in Pretoria. Uh, we only have the one vet school in South Africa. And then from there, I uh, met my wife girlfriend then at, at university, at vet school, went to the UK for two years just to travel and see Europe a little bit, and then decided not to go back to South Africa and, and made the move, as many South Africans do, to Australia. It's a very natural transition for us. Uh, it's our kind of lifestyle outdoors, very very easy to move to Australia. And then a recent move from Perth to the, to the Sunshine Coast on the East Coast.
1: Yeah, that epic road trip. It's something I've told so many people oh, about. Tell us a little bit about what inspired you to drive across one of the biggest okay. countries geographically in the world.
0: Oh, man, the, it's one of those things. That's, yeah, it's sort of a rite of passage. I think if you live in Australia, at some stage, you have to drive the country. And, and we'd always thought that we would... Well, when we started planning this move, that was a great opportunity. It said, well, we've got to get there. We've got to get our vehicle to the other side of the country. So instead of chucking it on a train, we may as well take the the opportunity to do a trip. And we were gonna go down the the bottom end, I was gonna do a big summer surf trip through, you know, past Melbourne and the Great Ocean Road and then come up the the coast of New South Wales. But because of COVID and with the timing, we couldn't, you couldn't get into Queensland from Victoria because of all the lockdowns and regional, so interstate, so the states and the different states in Australia have closed their borders to each other to a large degree or depending on what's happening. So then we decided to go around the top end. So the Northern Territory and then Far Northern Queensland, which I'm so glad that it happened that way because it's not necessarily a trip that, we would. I think eventually, but to convince my wife that that was a good idea, it's hot up there, and there's crocodiles in the water. Yeah, I was going to say you swap,
1: you swap sharks for crocodiles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they said, "Don't worry, there's sharks as well up there. right? <laughs> <laughs> you just add crocodiles into the mix." <laughs> uh, and we did a two month trip, a camping trip around the top end with our nine, seven, and two year old sons, um, which was incredible. Incredible. I, anybody who is ever has that opportunity. The top end, it's an eye-opener about Australia. I, I completely I always always say to people coming from Africa, I have an, you have an affinity with where you grow up. I really liked Australia, but I haven't had that deep love for country that they talk about. And going around the top end completely shifted that. You just go, okay, this is Australia. There's Australia in the cities, and then there's the real Australia. And it's just been a mind, it was a mind-blowing experience. The nature and the wildlife and the culture. Just, just a big and I loved it.
1: Yeah, I, I want to really talk more about the balance side and how you how you create that balance when you're juggling so many balls. It's a bit of a mm. bit of a sad reality. Um, how people don't really seem to have that desire to want to explore their own countries. They might see a travel brochure yeah. or a website or a Facebook ad for, hey, let's go to you know Mexico or wherever you, or if you're in America, maybe you want to go to Australia and vice versa. But I think having the opportunity to explore what's in your backyard is uh, is amazing. But before, before we get into all that good stuff, can you tell us a little bit about your business at the moment? Who do you help and what problem are you are trying to solve? So by business, do you mean the, the vet belt? Yeah, let me know notions? about it. So yeah, let us know about the the full spectrum of all the cool things that you've got going on on the business side. So, when I so I,
0: I owned a, an emergency veterinary clinic in in Perth, uh, sold that end of last year, and uh, about eighteen months before that, started the Vet Vault, which was just started as a, as a podcast, um, and then just found that I really love doing the podcast, but not just the podcast, the whole thing around is providing something to the profession and to the people in the profession, I really found immensely satisfying and decided I wanted to do more of that. So the Vet Vault, in its current state is a, a podcast where we interview veterinarians who are, thriving is probably the best word. Um, we, we can get into the problems with veterinary science in a minute if you want to, uh, but there's a lot of veterinarians who don't thrive in their careers and we pick people who are, have long and sustainable and, and happy careers or apparently happy or seemingly happy, and pick their brains about how, why, how do they think about it, what do they do, what do they do differently, and explore the different career options in veterinary science. Um, and the goal of that is just a bit of inspiration and positivity. There's a fair amount of negativity in, in our profession, uh, certainly in, in my view, and, and Dr. Gerardo Polly, who is my, my co-host, we both come across that, and we've both found ways of, of achieving that of, of, of loving our veteran careers and I didn't for 10 years I did not, I did not like being a vet at all um, and I think just talking about it and how and how do you think about it and to help others find that that thriving part of their career, to enjoy it, it's not always fun but it, it, is, it should be a really immensely satisfying career and if you, if you don't have that then we want to explore why and talk to people about the whys um, and then a bunch of people who listened to the show said yeah we love it but we'd love some clinical content as well. So we don't talk on the normal vet world. We don't talk about anything clinical. It's all just performance and mindset and, and that sort of stuff. Um, so we launched uh, recently, uh, earlier in this year, launched a clinical, so continuing education podcast where we speak to specialist vets from all over the world. And we, uh, I play the role of the, the ignorant person because that's what I am, very good at. <laughs> and I ask the questions or we ask the questions that I know vets in practice ask stuff they get stuck with so we're just trying to provide like 20 minute little short snippets of gold of okay oh right oh there's something i didn't know um to be to be listened to as a podcast um, just because i love podcasting and most of it's a busy people they don't have time to sit and do long courses online or um whereas they we all drive and we all run and walk our dogs and so the idea is just to get these little refreshes, new ways of thinking about clinical stuff. And that one we're doing as a subscriber, as a paid subscription, uh, to see if I can turn it into a to a job. Just because, as I said, I love doing it.
1: Absolutely. What what about the what is it about the profession that, that people seem to find dissatisfaction or a lack of meaning in, or uh, yeah, just some type of just feeling like they don't love it early on? As a very good friend of mine. He was a vet. It's funny that you'd mentioned that. He was a vet and ended up completely switching um, completely switching careers because he just didn't didn't enjoy it. Where, where does that stem from? We'd we need a long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, James, it's a,
0: what I'll say is, is, is all opinion, um, but there's factors that contribute to it. A, it's actually quite a stressful career. It's a high-pressure career. There's a lot of pressure um, to perform. We go into vet because most people go into vet because you have a passion for animals and for animal health. So you want to help. It's a helping career, but then it's increasingly people have higher and higher expectations of the vets as well. Back in the old days, oh, look if things go wrong and the dog dies, well, it's just the way it is. Not so these days, there's a very, very high pressure to do it and do it really well to a very high standard. I think a big issue is the cost of veterinary care. Um, it is, if you want to do it at a high standard, uh, it does cost a lot of money, but there's no medic, medical help or medical aid or anything for pets. Um, so, there's a friction in that between the vet who wants to just help but having to charge for it and clients getting angry or perceived getting angry. That's a big thing. Um, it's it's a full on career. If you do it full time in terms of it's, it's on your mind often um, and, and it can be hard to get away from it. Uh, and I think just burnout. People just put their hearts and souls into it and often find it fairly ungrateful. They don't feel like they get a lot of love back from from the job and they just do too, too much of it and one last factor is it's not a very well-paid career compared to most of the professions um so people work hard they put everything into it and they don't feel financially rewarded me, that was an, an issue for me as well so, yeah yep, that, that, I think that that's it in a nutshell
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i was gonna say especially compared to some of the other medical professions out there that, that can attract a, a a significant amount of money uh, often in life there, yeah. there seems to be one or two moments of of Uh, that we reflect on that seem to be massive moments of transition for us? Was there one or two incidents in your life that stand out that, that really contributed to the the path that you've gone down today or the person you are today?
0: I think the breakthroughs for me, the pivot points to go, okay, this isn't working. So as I said, the first 10 years or so, I've certainly felt that dissatisfaction. I was sort of waiting for somebody to rescue me, to arrive and say, okay, here's, here's the other thing that you should be doing because this isn't ticking the boxes for you. But I, I had a, probably a bit of a victim mentality. and I think probably going back to why vets struggle, it's not easy getting into a veterinary degree. So it's generally you have a group of high-achieving people who go through school and even university pretty easily and again this is opinion lots of people might differ from me but you there are some people who work very hard to get in vet school and we all work hard but but a lot of high achievers who, who life and achievement comes fairly naturally and then you get to a point in work where you go this is really hard mm. it's really right it's not what i imagined it was going to be and so we have this the general public has this this vision of what it is like to be a vet and i think many vets have that same vision going through vet school and then they get into the reality of work and they go, oh, it's actually pretty hard. It's not straightforward. I, I suck at it because when you start, you suck at it. It takes a long time to get really good at it. And we're not used to sucking at things. So for me to get back to your question, it was a good 10 years in, and I think it was just taking time away, stepping away and evaluating and thinking, okay, this isn't working for me. And actually consciously thinking, okay, what can I do about it? Mm-hmm. If, if, if not this, then what? I remember I had a... I sat at my desk once just brainstorming and writing it down and I don't know if I can swear or not, but I, I still have an old yeah. idea that there's a, there's a line that says, if not this, then what the F question mark, big exclamation <laughs> mark. And it was probably if I talk about pivotal moments, um, it was on a surf trip in Indonesia and I had a fantastic time with friends and I was riding on a scooter through this rural, just having, you know, one of those bliss moments and I just had a distinct moment of going, I want more of this feeling. How am I going to do this? I'm going to achieve that and it was on the plane back I started hatching plans, the initial plans and of course, when you start hatching those plans, you don't know, you have no idea what the end of, of it looks like. I'm learning that more and more. I still don't know what the end looks like. <laughs> but that was where, that was where I decided,
1: let's change, let's
0: do something else, let's make a plan.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny when I interviewed, I think it was Sharon Lecter, who was the co-author of all the Rich Dad Poor Dad books with Robert Kiyosaki that have sold, she sold more than 40 million copies. And um, I believe it was her who said she had, she didn't have a why list, she had a why not list. So for anything she wanted to do, she created that. Why not? And she inevitably found out there were these things on there that it's like, why not give them a go? And that's what led to her to her having some amazing, uh, having some amazing things. Uh, I feel like anyone who goes down that entrepreneurial route, and clearly you have very strong entrepreneurial tendencies. As, as I do, it seems to be a constant tightrope between balance and impact. What are some of the things that you've done in your life in the last sort of five years or 10 years? Obviously, we're, we're both still learning very much every single day. What are some of those yep. things that you've done to create more of that balance and, and try to um, achieve the day-to-day life, spend some time with your family and things while at the same time making sure you can hit those lofty business goals that you have?
0: Yeah, well, I'd start by saying right at the moment, my balance is horrendous. Uh, just too too many changes and too many trying too many things, but I'm am aware of it. But to answer your question, James, I think for me, it's a it's a, just just a decision. It's a again, it's taking the time and creating the mental space to figure out what you want and what is important. So I've got the three kids, and and when my firstborn was a year old, I realized I'm not seeing as much of him as I would like to. And I sat down and went, okay, what can I do about this? What does it look like for me? What I want it to look like. I want to see him at least 10 hours more a day. I want a day a week where I can just hang with him or do something like that. And then, and I had to write this down because the, the thing is you set these goals and then I achieved them pretty quickly, actually. I found, I worked backwards from there and said, okay, I need this. I need more time. I need the same amount of money. How much money do I need? Um, to, to achieve that. And it's, for me, you say I'm entrepreneurial. For me, it's not about money. I, it's time. The money needs to be there, but I, I, I'm very much aware of how much money I need as a minimum to, to give me time. Um, and, and I think that's a risk that, that often happens is once the entrepreneurial thing starts working, to not know when enough is enough, and to go, well, this is working, I should do more, I should do more, I should do more. Um, for me to be able to say okay I, I've hit the goal that I want to to reach so how much do I take more time off now or do I do I work more um, so setting a goal being very clear about what balance looks like and then reevaluating. Um, something else I've learned though is it, it it is a ebb and flow there will be periods of terrible balance so as I said at the moment there's a lot of things happening and I know I'm not spending enough Time with my kids, and especially my wife. She's always the last one, unfortunately
1: get, <laughs> the kids get the time, and then, the, and well, then she, the relationship. Might be times when she likes that. I think my wife would say that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm aware of it. But I also have a plan,
0: so I know this isn't the, going to be the norm. I, I have a goal that I'm working towards to say, well, this isn't acceptable, and being very strict about the saying, you know, this isn't acceptable. So that if that means, okay, I'm going to take a pay cut, take a day cut a day off of work. So if I say work for me, it still means clinical work. Um, so clinical veterinary work. And if it means I cut a half day out and that means we survive on less money, fine, that's the mm-hmm. priority. Um, so that that's my secret is to go, accept that it comes and goes in waves, but evaluate and be honest with yourself about is it good enough? And if it's not good enough, then take
1: action, do something about it. It's right behind you there, take, take action. Don't yeah. whinge about it, do something about it. <laughs> yeah absolutely i think it's about the best advice for everyone in in 2021 you've got such a great niche now like it's something you're clearly passionate about now you've positioned yourself being able to help other uh vets in in that world what can people do to find the niche that they that they care about that, that they love like there's a lot of young people out there who um who are waiting for their their purpose or their passion just to just to hit them like a, like an apple falling out of a tree but in, in my experience it's by going out there and exploring a whole bunch of industries and attending events and just getting to know as yep. many people as possible. It was only through that process that in my early 30s, so maybe four or five years ago, I'm 37 now, it was through that process that I ended up going, ah, wow, now I, Spot on, yeah, yeah, after going through all the shit, I, I am clear on what I actually want to do with, with that. What advice do you have for people who- Yeah, want that's,
0: to find that's, e- that's exactly it. I, I, I was so stuck on that for, for a decade. As I said, I had this- constant feeling of well what what I'm doing now isn't ticking all the boxes it's not it but I think I was scared to stop doing it because I didn't know what the other thing was um, and I think everybody wants to know what what is the thing that I should be doing and you probably don't know because you haven't tried uh, especially vet veterinary science it's such a defined job and you study vets and it's, this is the thing you do and anything outside of that is super scary uh, and, and again, we want this thing to go, okay, this is what the plan is going to look like. And that's how I'm going to earn the money. And that's how I'm going to, there's all those practical things to consider. But for me, the, the break in it was to say, okay, again, sitting down and going, okay, what, what did I used to love? Because the other thing with veterinary science, once you study it and you start working, it's all consuming, uh, you know, most veterinary students, before they get into vet school, they have other things that they like. they creative. They might have an artistic flair or used to do music or a sport or something. And then there's no time for that at vet school. Most vet schools, it just becomes this one thing. So you get a little bit brainwashed. And I had to sit down and literally write down again, I like this. Remember that you used to like doing music. Remember? I like writing. So for me, the thing was, I've always liked literature and words and writing. So I said, I'm going to start writing no idea why no very few writers make money so i knew that was probably not going to be my paid gig but i said cause i said look i'm going to write i'm going to have something published that i didn't publish online somewhere in a three-month period um not sure why but i'm going to do it and then that leads to the next thing and the next thing and then you go oh i actually don't like that sort of writing but i like this um and then as you say I, I've, I keep saying to people i keep kicking rocks and seeing what's under them and eventually you find the thing that you're looking for you don't know what you're looking for but it's under there somewhere <laughs> uh going out being more proactive i'm, I'm actually a fairly, fairly introverted um uh, so wouldn't wouldn't go out and expose myself to other people by conversations and asking questions but forcing myself to do that so the more people you meet the more people go oh i like what you're talking about there let's you know, let's talk about it more. And, and the one thing leads to the other. I had a lovely quote. I forget who he said this, but it says, um, don't worry about what you're going to do with your life. Just do what's in front of you with as much elegance as possible. Mm. And the answer will come. And I, I feel that more and more strongly.
1: Yeah, it's a a principle I remember hearing from Jim Rowan when I was young, just through his recordings, obviously not from Jim Rowan personally, but it was talking about going the extra mile, most people don't even go the first mile. So getting into that habit of going the extra mile and doing what you can, I mean, it sets you up for whether it's a job that you're in, it's relationships that you're in, all of that stuff that then creates those opportunities that can... That can start to come to you. It, it's funny you mentioned how writers don't get money. Uh, my very first lecture, because I, I have a de- literally a degree in, in English and writing from the University of Queensland. And my very first lecture, they said, put your hand up if you want to make money from writing. You know, 200 hands went up. And then the guy said, well, you're not going to make any money writing. And I was like, huh. And that was the day that I enrolled <laughs> in a dual degree doing business because I thought, hey, I, I want to be a writer, but I don't want to be homeless at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, yeah, so that that that's it, and
0: and I'm I'm amazed. It's exactly what you say about the extra mile. I I, I heard another quote that said the extra mile is a very lonely place. Mm. Um, you do that extra mile and show a little bit of enthusiasm, and I'm just astounded how people resonate with that. Mm. It yeah, it seems- just opens doors. People just go, this person. So so for the first ten years of my career, I was the winger, and the victim, and the I'd complain about stuff at work but not do anything about it you just do a little bit you don't have to go far just just try and put something extra in and then doors just open and people want to be around you and do stuff with you
1: for sure what, what about the decision when you created the vet vault where you had really positioned yourself as helping other vets so you were positioning yourself as being in the top one percent of your profession did you have any uh doubts around that things like imposter syndrome uh creeping up in in that process or was it something that actually felt quite natural for you
0: Totally, imposter syndrome is definitely there. Um, you know this as, as somebody who tries to coach me. Uh, the bedfall is not about me. Um, it, it is, we talk to other people. Now, I'm learning stuff through this, and as I learn stuff, I'm happy to share it, but I, I don't have it figured out. And I think none of our guests have either. So I think just realizing that, and, and you guys are really good at teaching this, is it's, you don't have to have it all figured out. To be able to help other people, um, I, I, I share what I learn, and I might change my mind, and a year later I say something else. But it's a it's a it's a journey, and I'm happy to share the journey. As I said, I'm introverted; it doesn't come naturally. I think that's why I like podcasting because I don't have to. It's not live; I can edit it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not standing in front of it. Well, though, having said that, that first episode. Sweating bullets, it's a weird thing. As soon as that microphone goes on, initially you're like, <gasps> people can hear me. Um, so yeah, it took took a bit of getting used to, uh but I but I enjoy it thoroughly now.
1: Yeah, tolerable isn't it? That first episode, I I, sh- I actually found one. Was it a few months ago? I found the very first podcast episode I ever did on YouTube. It was on someone else's show, and I was like, oh, I, I I closed <laughs> that tab quicker than I'd ever closed a tab before. <laughs> and then listening to your own voice when oh. you edit your own
0: show. Um, that took me a while to get to get used to. I didn't even know how strong my accent was. In my head, I, in my head, I sound quite Australian these days. And the first time I started it, I was like, geez I've got a really strong South African accent."
1: Anyway. Yeah, you got to you got to start off with "Good day, mate" to, to make the make the Aussie come out. I'm trying to teach our two year old daughter to say "Good day, mate." So over here on the, the mean streets of LA, when people walk past her and they hear a little two year old say "Good day, mate," they'll G'day, be like, mate. "What was that?" <laughs> <laughs> it, it's interesting what you were talking about on that on that podcast side. The reason so many podcasts aren't started is because people are worried about positioning themselves as that as the hero yet positioning yourself as the guide as we talk about a lot in we are members where yeah. the, the customer or the audience, the person listening to the show, you're guiding those people. they are the hero. you're just taking them from where they are at the moment to something, a place that they wanna be. And it's a great lesson for anyone out there that you do have the capacity to be able to do that. You can ignore all of those feelings of imposter syndrome that all of us have by thinking, hey, we're not an expert or we're not Gary Vaynerchuk in in our field of being able to get it done. Is there any particular um, benefit or, or reward or something that has come out of the podcast that really that really stands out to you, like what's what's a what's something that has happened as a result of you making the decision to start the oh, podcast that you feel gosh. like is is possibly worth the price of admission, as far as uh, <laughs> putting those putting those reps into this point. Ah, oh, so much, man! It's such a you you know what a re-
0: rewarding thing it is, and this is something you go on about, uh, but at one hundred percent, the main thing is relationships, so especially with the interview format podcasts. Uh, I've fallen in love with every guest a little bit. It's the weirdest thing by the end of the, because it's such an unusual thing is to pry into somebody's life that to, to be in a position where I can ask you a heap of really personal questions. Um, it's weird how the dynamic between you shifts instantly. By the end of the episode, of, I've like I had, I've had one or two incidents where I've personally met somebody who we've interviewed previously and it's so weird because i feel like i'm a really good friend of theirs after an hour and a half conversation but it's because i've probed i've probed and it makes them feel comfortable so the 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 relationships that i've gotten out of it is gold it's worth the the admission price by itself um but then again you learn i'm asking questions that i want to ask i'm not asking i'm not making up questions but that i think other people want i want to know how how do you do this what's it like to be a radiologist i you know, how do you make balance work for you? And I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning stuff. My personal growth since starting the, co- starting the podcast has been way better than reading books and stuff. Cause I, 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 I integrated. And I think the fact that I'm doing the interview and then editing and writing the show notes, I'm, I'm learning so much from it. It's, it's really it's incredible. The same with the clinical stuff. Now, I'm, I'm, I don't have to do continuing education because I'm talking to world-class specialists,
1: picking their brains and then making show notes by the end of it. i I know my stuff now. <laughs> yeah, pe- people who think, oh, wow, there's like one and a half million podcasts out there in the world or, or whatever it might be. It's like, to me, just as you said, it's that forced learning every couple of weeks or however, whatever frequency your show is, along with the relationships that you establish, even if no mm. one hears the episode that you are recording, that to mm. me is why a podcast is, is worth the price of admission. And then, and I will say though, that if,
0: when you do get feedback, and, and I think the, Frustrating thing with the podcast is because you put it out and there's not a, it's not a comment section or something like that. So actually engaging with the listeners doesn't happen all that often, but even just the occasional email to say, look, that really, that episode meant so much to me. You go, yeah, what you're doing is, is worthwhile. I'm learning. And if some, if one other person learns from it, um, fantastic. And, and it does help with, it has helped me a lot in growth in terms of this. I mean, I would have been super nervous to have this conversation with you, with people potentially listening into it uh, two years ago. And now I'm not, because again, I've learned that it's not about my opinion. It's it's about conversations. And I can talk about the challenges I face and faced. And if somebody else can gain from that, I don't have to come with the answers. I can come with the questions and, and we can talk about it. And if it makes the listeners think a little bit and just go, you know what? I'm not, in my career, it's right. I should just, I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but just make you think about it. And that's very, very satisfying. I love doing that, which is why I want to do more of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us about the podcast that you have with your kids.
0: <laughs> that, that's been on, on ice. As I said, I'm over-committed. I've got, I've got two new clinical jobs. I started a brand new job yesterday. As you can see, I'm in my scrub, so I'm going from one job to the other in a minute. So that, that was put on a high hiatus a little bit, but that's actually my favorite podcast. Uh, me and my. It's my got the best six-year-old. description
1: of a podcast. I mean, it's amazing. I
0: think, that, I think that's got legs. I should get back to it. I think that's actually going to be my. Uh, so I was driving with my then six year old son, just the two of us in the car. We, we went camping overnight. Um, I try and do that just dad and one kid every now and again, night away. And, and he's animal obsessed, wildlife obsessed. Um, and I thought, well, let's listen to a podcast in the car. Uh, and I was looking for a podcast. I thought surely there's got to be some animal related kids podcast. Uh, and there were some, but I just didn't love them. They weren't the best. Oh, and the other thing is they always come with these facts because they read all these animal books. Um, they come to me with these wild animal facts that I go, I don't know if that's true, right? I've got to double check that like some random. So the, the, the first episode was the question that the thing he said to me in the car, he said, did you know that hippos have pink milk? <laughs> and I was like, I know I didn't. I don't know if that's true. I'm going to have to Google that. <laughs> and, and, that and that was where, where the idea was born. I was like, okay, let's do this. Let's do an animal podcast for kids with my kids. So they're my co-host. And the, and the story is they come with a fact, with an unbelievable animal fact, because I don't believe it. And then I go and research it. And then we come back and we have a talk about this animal and talk, say some cool things about it. And then we answer their, their question or their statement is it true or is it, is it false? I love doing it. I absolutely love it. It's just the time of, of editing and everything that's, that's made it. So it's called the podcast is called Unbelievable Animals. Uh, it's out there. There's still The episodes are still out there, but we haven't released a new one for about six months.
1: Yeah. It's so good about just the difference of, of just how eclectic shows can be. I mean, it seems like the best ideas come from people either in the shower or where they're doing, they're not trying to force like, what's a really good idea that I could think of right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, We just wanted to
0: scratch our own itch. Um, it, I will say pe- people listen to the, my friends listen to the podcast and they go, Oh, that's so cool. You guys have so much fun. Uh, we've had some big fights, me and the boys, <laughs> if they aren't in the mood or they are grumpy or they're mumbling or, and then I get, I'm like, Hey, we're doing this recording. So pe- pick up. You, can't, you can't stop. We're <laughs> supposed to have fun. So I, I do it's, it's some heavy editing of me shouting at them. <laughs> Welcome back to the happy sort. family podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Don't be fooled by the, by what you hear there. There's a lot of editing. <laughs>
1: Well, you're you are one of the OGs in our uh, We Are Members community, which which launched in August 2020 to help podcasters do amazing things with their with their podcasts. Is there anything that stands out from, from your time with the group um, as something particularly beneficial for podcasters who are thinking about getting to that next level? What's OG? Uh, original Gangster, I believe. OG just Oh, thank yeah. you.
0: Oh, yes, yes, I remember. Yes, <laughs> that's right.
1: I'm Snoop Dogg. <laughs> uh,
0: oh, Mate, it's just a... It's a way of thinking for me. Um, It's the community for sure. You have like-minded people trying to achieve the same thing. And then when we have sessions, other people come with solutions to things that I get stuck on. Um, I joined because I wanted technical help. You know, how do I get better sound? How do I get so stressed out by software and things like that, all the new tech things. Um, So that's why I joined and initially I was disappointed that it wasn't very heavy on that and then I went oh hang on that's not the important stuff the important stuff is how you think and what you do with it and how you engage your audiences and um, so it's just a completely different I say way of thinking but it's like actually just thinking it's now in my mind I'm, I'm, I'm much more aware of you know, the marketing thing and, and production and how to get good ideas and not know it's that's the main thing it's completely changed my 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 brain really Um, and then the support if there's a technical question it's there we just shoot questions and somebody comes up with the best person in the world in this topic to give us a a deep dive so you know it's it's fantastic it's fantastic things it's the family it's a big it's a big commitment Uh, and again it's like doing any exercise or anything there's the, the days where I think, oh, I've got a hundred other things to do. I don't actually have time for an hour and a half session. And then you do it and afterwards it's like finishing the gym going, man, I'm so glad I did that. That, that, that was so, so worth my time.
1: Yeah. Well said, my friend. Well said. Well, I know you've got to get off to work now. So where's the best place for people to go and learn more about you, Hugh?
0: Oh, cranky. I should have prepared it.
1: If anyone's a vet out there, they can go to thevetvault.com.
0: Check us out. VetVault.com. If you want to learn more about the clinical episodes, there's a tab on the site that says clinical content that'll take you to the the clinical podcast. I'd love you to check that out. Um, We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. If if you look for the vetveld, we try and keep it entertaining. Uh, Reach out. Please reach out. We love it. I love getting emails and messages. What do you want us to talk about? Who do you want us to interview? Engage with us. I love it.
1: And if you would like Hugh to resurrect Unbelievable Animals podcast, you can send that to me. You can send that through the DMs as well. But yes, uh, please. Hugh, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. So if you know of anyone who's a vet, send them along to com. It's an amazing podcast and, and hugely beneficial for, for the vet industry. And don't forget, we've got We Are podcast coming up on the 18th and 19th of February. So if you want to learn more about how to monetize your podcast and connect with some awesome podcasters from all around the world, go to wearepodcast.com and grab your ticket. And also, if you want to monetize your podcast sooner rather than later and be be members with people like you, myself, Ronsley, and a whole bunch of other amazing people, you can go to wearepodcast.com slash members only, where you'll be able to schedule a one-on-one call with me to talk more about your goals and whether you're a good fit. That's all for today. So get out there and make some magic, and we'll see you very, very soon. Thanks for having me, James. Thank you for everything you do. Thanks so much, you.
0: know those conversations that you have at conferences back in the days when we still had big vet conferences when people are chatting to the lecturers and asking questions and you hear things like this isn't really in the books but here's what i think it's in those kinds of conversations that the best nuggets of wisdom appear the nitty-gritty real-life details that you can only get from years and years of experience and it's exactly those kinds of conversations that we try to emulate on the vet vault clinical podcasts we don't want lectures We want to hear about the challenges, the tips, the stuff-ups, the this is how I do it. Go to vvn.supercast.net to join in the conversation.